Well, today we're going to look at the Holy Spirit, um, and uh, I, I'm, I'm going to be a little limited, and I may even get you out early today, because we're going to have a fuller understanding of this in the next few weeks, looking at the Spirit's prayer for us, uh, the Spirit's intercession for us, the Spirit's work for us, the Spirit's work in us. Uh, but I still think it's important, as we're marching through this fundamentals of the faith, to remember that the Holy Spirit is a person worth studying. Let me say it really clear. If you don't get anything else today, the Holy Spirit is a he, not an it. Sometimes we, we, we talk about the Holy Spirit in terms of a, a force or a, a, a power or a present. That's not what the Holy Spirit is. The Holy Spirit is a person and he's God. If you get nothing else, the Holy Spirit's a person and that person is God. If you have your Bibles, and I know you do, turn over to John 14 for a moment. John 14, as you're turning there. Is that you, Elizabeth, in the back there? Is that you? I'm so sorry about your son. We, uh, we, uh, we had a, a bit of a Kansas overnighter and took some rifles and shotguns out and let the boys shoot him. And he got, uh, you know what scope bit means? Is he okay? He what? He, he's proud of it. He's, the, he, he, he what now? Oh, I know. We sent it, we, we, I, I sent that to John and not you on purpose, okay? But now I know about John. I've learned a lot about John right now, okay? Uh, he, he shot my 300 Ultra Mag, which is a, it's an elephant gun. And it, the scope came back and just cut him right between the eyes. And uh, he didn't know he'd done it. <laughs> so he's looking around, blood's running down his nose, and the guys were saying, that's cool. And he's like, what's cool? So... It was, a, it was a fun moment. I said, I love living in Kansas. We, we couldn't pull that off in, in California. You know, you would have, anyway. Um, but he's okay, right? Okay. Well, I, I knew, I, this is the kind of uh, friend John is. I texted, I called John and said, hey, he's got a little scope bite, cut his, um, his forehead, and, and he's uh, right between his eyes, and he's okay. I don't, I don't think it's deep enough for stitches. It's just gonna bleed a little bit, and, and, uh, and he goes, um, okay, that's, that's cool. You know, girls dig scars. I mean, it was just something really, <laughs> he, he's a good dad. I like that. If you're a father of boys, you don't have to explain that. In John 14, Jesus is in the upper room. He's about to leave his disciples uh, physically, although he says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be with you spiritually in the future. As he uh, is departing, he knows that they need something, they need someone to substitute for his physical presence. Now, what's very interesting is that Jesus doesn't want to leave them alone. He says, I won't leave you as orphans in verse 18. But verse 16 says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. Remember we said the Holy Spirit is he, not it. Well, this is important because Jesus specifically asks the Father. Look at all three members of the Trinity are in this verse. You have the Son asking the Father for the Spirit to come and be the helper with these men in his physical absence. Now, you've got to be careful because both in Acts and in Galatians, it talks about the Spirit of Jesus. So one of the great questions is those phrases when it says the Spirit of Jesus 
And you get into uh, genitive connections. If you remember from grammar, genitive is of, it's possessive. So does that mean Jesus' spirit, his spirit, or the spirit of Jesus who is the Holy Spirit? And, and the answer is I don't think you're, it, it matters in the end. Um, but the Father and the Son and the Spirit are all here. Jesus intended for us not to be left as orphans and to be cared for and ministered to and taught by the Holy Spirit. He permanently abides and dwells with us. He is always with us. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. He is there, and we'll talk about what he does being with us as well. So the Bible always recognizes the Spirit as a person, not a force. So catch yourself if you ever start calling the Holy Spirit it, like it's some force of God. The Holy Spirit is a he. Now, we could go through this. He has attributes of personality in Romans 8, 27. He has a mind in 1 Corinthians 2, 10. The Holy Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. So he has an active mind that searches. He has intellect. The Holy Spirit knows the thoughts of God in 1 Corinthians 2, 11. So he's, he has intellect. He thinks. He also has emotion. He possesses the ability to experience emotion. Um, Ephesians 4.30, do not do what to the Holy Spirit? Remember? Grieve. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Meaning that the, the Spirit of God actually has the emotional range to be in the state of grief over a believer's choices. He has volition. He determines acts decisively. 1 Corinthians uh, twelve. 11, uh, 7 and 11 says he wills certain things. He sets apart Barnabas and Saul for the specific work and ministry in Acts 13 too. So he's active and he's doing stuff. He has a will. Now if you put all the scriptures together, you find out, and we will go through all these scriptures, Isaiah 40, Psalm 139, Hebrews 9, 1 John 5, 1 John, or John 16. If you put all that together, you find out that the Holy Spirit is said to be omniscient. He knows everything. He's omnipresent. He is everywhere. He's eternal. He's coexisted in the Trinity since before the world began. He is the author and the purveyor and the dispenser and the validator of truth. He's all-knowing. He, um, he has absolute veracity and integrity and cannot lie. So the Holy Spirit is God, acts like God, speaks like God, Performs like God because he is God. That leads us to the statements of deity. Um, first, 2 Corinthians 3, 17. The Lord is spirit. Saying God is spirit is the same as saying the spirit is God. And then we need to talk for a moment about his work. The work of the Holy Spirit is, um, is usually the way we identify uh, his, his interaction with us. You, you know that the Father works. You know that we have the work of Christ. But the work of the Holy Spirit is one of those, those categories of growth that seems to be ever-present in at least our curiosity, if not in our experience. Um, I hope you're still in John. Turn over to, verse, to chapter 15 for a moment. Because I want to show you the primary ministry of the Holy Spirit. He has a lot of ministries, but I think this is the main uh, pointer that the Holy Spirit does and possesses. Look at uh, verse, chapter 15, verse 26. When the Holy Spirit, when the Helper comes, I, whom I send you from the Father, that is the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he 
will testify about me. So we find out something about the Spirit of God. That he testifies not about the Father and not about himself. He testifies, makes proclamation, affirms the person and the power and the deity of Jesus. Turn over to chapter 16. Same thing, chapter 16, verse 14. Speaking of the Holy Spirit, you can see he, the spirit of truth in verse 13. He will glorify me for he will take of mine and will disclose it to you. That's significant in reference to verse 13, which I didn't read first on purpose. When he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth for he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak he will disclose to you what is to come. In other words, the Spirit of God in an, um, in an inter-Trinitarian sense occupies a subordinate delegated position with the Father and the Son. Now, that's, that's in terms of what he does, not in terms of his essence. You understand the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are equally God. Yet the, the Father tasks the Spirit to disclose things to us. And Jesus said the spirit will speak of me. Uh, now don't, don't feel sorry for the Holy Spirit. Because there's one God. This is a, 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 where we get into lots of potential trouble. When we talk about chopping up the Trinity. Because there's one God. But the, it, the part of God that says this is my son. Believe in him. Listen to his words. Do what he says. Uh, I affirm that he's the object and the focus of your faith. That's the spirit of God that is at work in us. Let's say it another way. If you believe that Jesus is the savior of the world, the Lord of your life, a God, very God, that he's a, he was there at the creation, he'll be there at the end, he's sanctifying you, praying for you. If you believe anything about any spiritual truth, that's the work of the spirit of God in you. Specifically, what you believe about Jesus if you believe biblical, truthful things about Jesus, that is only attributed to the fact that the Spirit of God has opened your eyes to see those things and open your heart to believe them. Holy Spirit is significantly at work in our salvation. Um, he does that special work, John 16, 7 and 8. He convicts the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. If you've ever felt convicted over your sin, that is the work of the Spirit of God turning on the light of your conscience and showing you what that sin looks like in the, in the mind and the sight of God. Um, we're born into the, the kingdom. We're born by the Spirit in John 3. The, the great work of regeneration is the Spirit of God. And... Um, Titus 3, 5, and 6 says the Holy Spirit regenerates us. He takes us from death to life. The Spirit of God is the one who, um, who operates in our thinking, operates in our volition, operates in our mind, even operates in our emotional receptivity to open uh, a disposition to believe who Jesus is and to affirm what the Bible says about him. Now let's talk for a moment about this, uh, this concept. What is it when we're speaking of the Spirit's work in a person's life? Um, 1 Corinthians 12, 13 says, For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body. Much confusion exists in the church today between the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the filling of the Holy Spirit. 
specifically in charismatic circles who believe that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a secondary work that the Spirit of God comes and does on a person, in a person, through a person that gives them a kind of a, a kickstart, a new, uh, a, a, a new lease on their, their faith, even accompanied by the supernatural Spirit, speaking of tongues, uh, uh, getting a divine, excuse me, a supernatural spiritual gift. That's what they would associate that with. Let me just say, though, there is no sense anywhere in the Scripture where the baptism of the Holy Spirit is anywhere associated with a second work of grace, a second work of God. The baptism of the Holy Spirit, we're going to break that down. Baptism is simply a way of identification. So when the Spirit baptizes us, when we're baptized by the Holy Spirit, we are identified by the Spirit of God into the family of God, affirming the the, the Son of God to the glory of God the Father. Filling is another whole issue, which we'll get to in a minute. But please, if someone tells you or asks you, as I've been asked before, have you been baptized in the Holy Spirit? That's a simple answer. Yes, I have. It occurred when I was saved. It occurred at my regeneration. I was identified with and by the Spirit. The baptism of the Spirit occurs only once at the time of salvation. He's also given to us as a pledge. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14 um, speaks of the Spirit's given to us as, as a pledge. In other words, the Spirit of God residing with us, it's a little bit what we were talking about first hour. If you weren't there, you'll hear a second hour. The Spirit of God is that, that person of the Trinity that gives us, can I say it? Our experience with God this side of heaven. It's the spirit of God who is operative. We are sealed with him. He's the, the, the pledge of the promise in Ephesians 1. He is the, the engagement ring, as, as it were, of what's going to happen in the great day. How does the spirit operate personally with you, though? How, how can you engage, interact with, and be profited by the Holy Spirit. Well, he dwells in us, as Romans 9 uh, told us a few weeks ago. Let me ask you a question. Is it possible to be a Christian and not be indwelt by the Holy Spirit? No, not at all. He indwells us. Now, one of the main uh, ministries that we receive from the Spirit of God is, is that of um, instruction, First uh, Corinthians 12, he teaches us all things. Uh, he shows us, he illumines our minds. First Corinthians 1, uh, 2, uh, 13 tells us, 2, 14, tells us the natural man doesn't understand the things of God. Only the spirit of God opens the mind of a believer. So anytime you understand something in the Bible, you can directly attribute that to the spirit of God, God's powerful Holy Spirit doing something in your mind to make you understand it. Now, be careful. If you don't understand something, that doesn't mean you don't have the Spirit of God. It means you have to study harder. Uh, it means you have to uh, talk to a pastor, an elder, maybe to, to, to figure something out. But if you have that desire, that's a good thing. If you have any desire to grow, that can only be attributed to the work of the Spirit of God within you. He teaches us truth. Uh, by the way, we have some specific interactions with the Spirit of God. Ephesians 4.30, don't grieve him. 1 Thessalonians 5.19, don't quench him. And Ephesians 5.18, be filled with him. 
So let's just do those two negatives first. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God. How do you grieve the Holy Spirit of God? By, by sin, really simple. How do you quench the Spirit of God? By sin. Sin will inhibit you from fully glorifying God, uh, fully understanding the word. Uh, one of the things, if I can pull over for a second, one of the things you need to understand that I have to remember when I open God's word, when I sit to have my quiet time, when I start a sermon, when I open this, this book and begin thinking about what it says and trying to figure out what it says. If the Spirit of God is the one who illumines the mind, illumine means to turn on the light. If the Spirit of God is the one who illumines the mind and the Spirit of God is God and we can pray to God, see where we're going? Have you ever, when you sat down with your Bible, said, Spirit of God, please illumine my mind. Give me the gift of illumination. Open my eyes to see wonderful things, as the psalmist says. Help me to, to, to be impacted by this. My suspicion is that, maybe I'm just being autobiographical, is that it's, it's easier for us to sit down and just start reading the Bible than to sit down and ask the author to explain to us what he meant by what he said. Then let's talk about that other, those are two negatives. Don't quench, don't grieve. Then be filled with, I'm going to teach you an important Greek word, okay? This is really, really a good one. You want to know this one? Memorize it. You can have it forever, all right? Pleroma. Can you say that? Pleroma. Pleroma. It means to fill. This word fill, though, we typically look at a glass and we say we're going to fill something. That's not what this word means. So to be filled with the Holy Spirit means to pleroma, fill. The better illustration is it's what a, a, a strong wind does to a sail. It fills it so that it moves it along. So when Paul is saying be filled with the Holy Spirit, he's not saying be filled up like an empty glass. He's saying being moved along like a ship's sail. Have the Holy Spirit move you, motivate you, steer you, and guide you. How can the Holy Spirit, can I even say this, be allowed, be leveraged, be leaned upon to fill us and move us? Only by God's word. So God's word is the rudder in our life that the Holy Spirit uses to direct us, to fill us, to move us along. I think that a good way to look at it is everything we do, everything we say, every interaction we have, every decision we make is rooted either in the spirit of God or the flesh. So that in Galatians, which we're going we're to go now, what is, how does it has a Christian uh, keep from sinning? Um, it's, it's all the power of the Holy Spirit. Remember in, in Galatia, Paul was telling, in Galatians, Paul was telling them, there are two influences, two primary categorical influences in your life, right? The flesh and the spirit. You don't have to do anything to be influenced by the power of the flesh. Just get born, just be alive. And you will have all the power and the influences and the impulses of the flesh that can move you along. The contrast to that is, or be moved along, filled with, uh, have the fruit of the Spirit. Now, I don't want to burst anyone's uh, teaching or sermon. I certainly have preached this passage wrong when I was a, a younger preacher. But I used to say, okay, let's look at the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And then he says, and things like these. Let's look at those. Let's do love. Okay, let's talk about how to do love. 
uh, joy, peace. And you look at them all and make, turn them into commands. Now, that's not necessarily wrong because those are all commanded somewhere else in the New Testament. That's not what Paul is saying in Galatians 5. He's saying that's just the fruit of the Spirit. If you're walking with the Spirit, that's what happens. He commands us to do those things in other passages. Don't don't get me wrong. But if you're walking by the Spirit, contrast, instead of the flesh, you will experience love and joy and peace. Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those are the consequences of walking by the Spirit of God. So then the question is, well, then how do I walk by the Spirit of God? You have caught me. This is the Read Your Bible More Sermon. You have to. This is the Spirit's Word. This is what He uses to change us. And as much as we joke about that, can, can I just be as third grade for all of us, myself included, as I can? If you are not regularly spending time in God's Word, you should not have any expectation of growth, of peace, of understanding, of, of, uh, of being sustained in suffering, of being sustained in a disappointment, of having victory over sin. Listen, I, in all the years, 30 plus years of, of pastoring and counseling, I've told you this, but let me tell you again. I've never had someone sit down. Let me give you an example. A guy comes in and sits in my office and says, please pray for me, please help me with uh, my struggle with pornography. Um, so, okay, tell me about that. They explain it to me. And then the, the next question is, well, and tell me about your quiet times. I have never, in the thousands of people I've interacted with, never had someone also say, you know, they're the best they've ever been. They're just incredible. Sometimes we talk about putting off so much that we forget you have to put on. Remember the the little sign on the church that kind of cycles through, you know, those churches that have the signs that they put the clever sayings on. You can always see this on one of those signs and it's so uh, old that it's almost unrecognizable um, as what great insight it is. Sin will keep you from this book or this book will what? Keep you from sin. Why? Because the presence of God, the power of God, the spirit of God illumines our minds to know God's thoughts and it changes us. That's how a person changes. So to be led by the Spirit, filled with the Spirit, is to be under his domination, under his control, under his guidance, under his illumination. Confessing sin because he shows us sin. Looking at Christ because he shows us Christ. Surrendering of our wills to his will because we're seeing that contrast. Our intellect, our body, our time, our talent, our possessions, our desires. It requires all of us to deny self and to follow him. So here's the question that Paul continually continually asks in Romans 8. Do you recognize if the spirit of God is at work in you? Can you recognize that? Let me give you some, some, um, some clues. Do you have a sensitivity to sin? 
Sensitivity to sin. Not just guilt over sin. An unbeliever can have guilt over sin. I mean a sensitivity to sin where you don't want to do it and you hate it when you do. Remember, Romans 7 comes before Romans 8 on the Spirit. That Paul said, I'm wrestling with this thing. What I do, I don't want to do. I find I'm doing things I don't want to do and I'm doing the wrong things and that I don't want to do and I'm not doing the right things that I do want to do. This is frustrating. Why would he make those assessments? Romans 8 tells us because the Spirit of God was clearly at work in his conscience, in his life, in his mind, working those things out. So he enlivens our sensitivity to sin and he, he moves and pricks our conscience. Secondly, do you have a, a growing love for Jesus? In other words, is Jesus becoming more and more the centerpiece of your faith? Not a peripheral part of your faith, but the whole point of your faith. Not a part of your life, but the point of your life. If you're moving in your love, appreciation, and understanding of Jesus, that is only attributed to the power of the work of the Spirit of God in your life. Said negatively, if there is no growth in loving and adoring Jesus, you have to ask, is the Spirit of God operative in my life? And if he's not, how do you get him operative into your life? You read the Bible, right? I think a third is, um, do you desire unity with the brethren? Philippians 2 says that one of the first results of a a spirit-filled church is you have the unity of the spirit, Meaning that when you that church is not an event we come to, it's not a, a meeting that we go to on Sundays. Church is a community. It's a, a a set of relationships that we have, striving together to move toward Christ likeness and to move for greater love for Him. Now, shameless plug for for care groups right now. Ready? Shameless plug. We've been doing care groups for a couple of years now, and here's what we're starting to hear. I love this. You know, this is uncomfortable. I'm finding out things about people that I really would have been fine not knowing. People are starting to notice things about me that I wish they didn't know. That means we're getting really close to doing biblical ministry. I, I heard this too. I love this. Well, I'm, we're so different. Exactly. And your point is? God uses the differences in the body so that, remember 1 Corinthians uh, uh, um, uh, 12 where he says, you know, the body's kind of talking to each other. The nose and the foot are talking and the ear and the eye are talking and you got this argument, who's most important? And, and God says, no, no, the spirit of God says, no, no, you, all of those are needed for the unity of the spirit. The differences that you feel, the frustrations you feel, the disagreements that you have, the the aching awkwardness of getting together in a care group or in the church where you don't fit except by the Spirit of God is good. It's healthy. It's so good. So, you know, I just thought about this. There, there is no e-harmony for the church. It wouldn't surprise me if one came out where, you know, the people who all have the same likes, same dislikes, same, they like the same fruit, they like the same nuts, they all get together and they have this church, you know, a church harmony or whatever it is. And I guarantee you they wouldn't all get along either. Please embrace and love differences and awkwardnesses 
because it grows you and it grows the other. This is a little side note, but my wife and I were talking. Uh, we've said that had this conversation a few times, but if we had, uh, there was no internet when we got married, but had we tried to get together today via the internet, it would never happen. We don't like anything the same. We, you know, she likes, a, she wants to go on vacation to a hotel with a beach and a shower. I want to go on a drop hunt in Alaska in a tent and, you know, for a week. She likes onions and peppers and <laughs> mushrooms. I said it. I, being more mature, uh, know that mushrooms are a fungus and part of the curse. Um, she recharges by downtime and alone. I recharge by being around people. And yet those differences accelerate our sanctification with one another. Those, it's just an illustration. Those differences are what the Spirit of God uses in the church to accelerate our, our, our growth with each other. Where else, I mean, this, this might feel weird, but you can look around. Where else would we get together? Why else would we get together? So the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace is, is paved with the, um, the attitude and characteristic of humility. But that's a part of the spirit's goal and work in our lives. Is that we love each other. We deal with each other. We're involved with each other. And it's not just an event where we come and drive to and leave. Shameless plug for care groups now. Over. Actually, it's not over. Please, become a member and get in a care group. It will be painfully wonderful. Some of you are going like this. I don't want to know, but uh, it's really good to have someone in your life. And that's the way the Spirit of God works within us to move us and to sanctify us.